Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is sponsored by Global Educational Concepts. Global Educational Concepts is a designated sponsor of the U.S. Department of State's cultural exchange programs. They fully support and believe in the public diplomacy opportunities their exchange programs offer participants, host families, and host employers. Global Educational Concepts seeks to provide the best service and support possible to the young people who participate in their programs while adhering to government regulations. Their program participants can be found living, working, and training all across the U.S., Visit GECExchanges.com for more information on global educational concepts. Hello, listeners. This is Zach Troutman, producer for the Action Catalyst. And as the conflict in Ukraine continues, it's all hands on deck here at Southwestern Family of Companies, parent company of the Action Catalyst. Host Dan Moore is abroad, helping distribute humanitarian relief and aid. And Dustin Hillis, CEO of Southwestern Family of Companies, is coordinating corporate donation efforts and response. With both of them occupied, for the sake of timeliness, I sat down with today's guest, Ron Carr. Ron has worked with leaders on six continents to help eliminate risk and achieve better results with the Velocity Mindset. His presentations and advisory services have generated over a billion dollars in revenues for his clients. Ron is the author of five books, as well as former president of the National Speakers Association from 2013 to 2014. And you can learn more about Ron at roncarr.com. Ron, thanks so much for joining us today on The Action Catalyst. Thank you so much for having me. So first of all, what is the velocity mindset and how did you develop it? Well, when you hear the word velocity, what is the first word that comes to your mind? For me is speed, but I know there's kind of two axes to velocity. Well, most people have speed, like you just said, or momentum. And if that's all they think about velocity, then they're probably going to get burned out. True velocity, the physics definition is speed with direction. It's your direction, where you're trying to go that dictates your decision-making process to make sure you're making the right decisions and that you're carrying out the right actions. That's called being purpose-driven. Instead, most people are task-driven. They're driven by their to-do list. They do all these tasks on the given day, and at the end, they're exhausted at night, and they look at how much did they really move the needle, and sometimes they get really disappointed because for all the effort they put in, they didn't move forward. So they have to be driven by the purpose or the direction. And if they do that, they will gain velocity in all aspects of their life. So the first thing you have to do is start with the end in sight first. So you have to ask yourself first, well, what do you want to accomplish? Now, the problem with that is a lot of people, when you ask them, visualize what you want, they can't. You know, they have problems with it. They don't know what they want. They don't allow themselves to even think about what they want. And invariably, what most people do is when they write down what they want, it's really based on their past. It's based on what they think is possible, what's not possible, what they did in the past, what they didn't do in the past, what their customers are saying in the past. So therefore, all they're really doing is recreating the past. Finding out your true destination 
means starting with what I call as a clean piece of paper, letting your brain and your mind just visualize what do you want to create for yourself? Not what you think is possible, but what you want to create and allow yourself to put that down. That becomes the vision. Now, the problem with that is a lot of people will say, but I don't have the answers up front. And you're right, you don't, because you haven't been there yet. The answers come from walking the journey. So if you allow yourself to go into a process without having the answers, but knowing as a leader, you're going to ask the right questions to get the answers, that's when you're truly going to create different results and achieve better momentum and speed in your life. We've had a lot of very well-known speakers on the program. Tell us a bit about your time as a president of the National Speakers Association. And for people who may not be familiar with that group specifically, what were some of their major focuses and how did you work to push those initiatives forward? Well, member benefit and value is always the major focus of the association. We're no different than any other association. You know, we had our ups and downs with the recession in 2009, COVID. But because of the strong leadership that we've had in the past and the current, we're navigating those minefields pretty well. The National Speaker Association is a trade association for professional speakers. It's about the business of speaking. So it educates its members, you know, on proper business strategies, best practices from colleagues that are doing really well. And you learn from each other. It's a it's almost like a peer-to-peer mentoring, you know, when you rely on each other for ideas and tips. And the founder, Kevin Robert, you know, his whole principle in creating the National Speakers Association in the early 70s was, you know, we're friendly competitors, you know, so don't look at somebody as a competitor. Let's help each other build a bigger pie and then our piece will get bigger at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of our conversation today is going to talk about the conflict that's going on in Ukraine and in particular... The sort of conversation this opens up around leadership and around Ukrainian President Zelensky. You say that he's mirroring what exactly a world-class leader should be doing to lead a cause or create a new brand. He's doing this by employing three really specific strategies. And these are strategies that companies or individuals can employ as well. The first strategy that you focus on is being a transparent leader. You know, the one thing that you need from people that you're asking to follow you, especially in difficult times, is trust. Why should they trust you if you're not willing to show everything that's happening? If you look at the other side in Russia, you know, they've clamped down on transparency. They've clamped down on the media. So now, you know, all you're doing is you're watching, you know, their propaganda. But if all of a sudden a report comes in and gives you a different view, all of a sudden you're asking yourself, why are they not showing that? You know, what's going on here? What are they holding back from me? And just any little interruption in trust, any little tear in that fabric will automatically stop people from following you to some degree. And if it keeps building and building, they're obviously just going to go opposite of what you want to accomplish. So transparency is all about trust, but it's also about something else. It's about the emotions. Okay. So when we're sitting at home and watching Fox, CNN, or whatever network you're watching, and you're seeing all the destruction of this, the pointless destruction of the cities, the people being killed, the, the people being displaced, the potential PTSD, but so many people who didn't even ask for the fight, you know, we get very emotional and then that builds support. So he understands the power of that. He actually, Zelensky, actually understands the power of TV. He's using TV to his advantage to fight for the cause, whereas Putin is not. He's basically holding himself up. And then, you know, when you hold yourself up and you don't have transparency, 
then the one thing you have to do is you have to start fighting all the non-stories that are out there. What I mean by non-stories, the false stories. If you take Kennedy, for example, President Kennedy with the Bay of Pigs, when that was such a fiasco and TV just came out, Kennedy knew the power of TV and he decided to be transparent by acknowledging it didn't go well. And he got on TV and he said, look, the buck stops here. This was a bad situation. I made the decision. So if you want to blame somebody, it's me. What he did at that moment, he stopped all the negative news from or the fake news from coming into play because he told everybody what it was. He took that play away from them. Those are some of the powers that you get with transparency, but it all comes to building trust because you can build the following without trust. And, you know, speaking of building a following and having that emotional foundation to do it, strategy number two that you talk about is acting as what we'll call the evangelist, pushing people forward. Right. What value do you build in the evangelist role? Tremendous. Every organization has to have an evangelist. It could be the CEO. You know, think about that. Who really has the most passion than a CEO who either started the company or has the uh, wherewithal to lead the company today. They, they have a vision. They, they want to leave a legacy. They got the passion. No one can say that as well as you can, you know, who doesn't have that responsibility, okay? You're the only one who can. Now, sometimes CEOs are not that outgoing, so maybe it's not them. Maybe it's somebody else in the organization, but you need the evangelist, someone to be the face of the organization who spreads the dream. We learned this from Guy Karasaki, who was one of the first employees of Apple Computer, Jobs and Wozniak were building the computer in the garage. You can have the computer, but you need something else to make it run. You need software. Well, Karasavka's job was to go to software companies at that time like Lotus and be the evangelist. Product wasn't developed yet. It wasn't out. So he had to sell the dream. And he's sitting there saying, look, here's what's going to happen. This is why everybody's going to want this computer. You know, get into the ground floor, offering the opportunity, write the software for us. His job was to convince Lotus to invest that money without seeing a product that they can feel and without having statistics that it's actually going to work. That's what the evangelist does. They get people into the dream. That's what Zelensky is doing right now. He's doing it by all the Zoom presentations that he's making to the various governments around the world to solicit their support. You know, he had a standing ovation with the UK Parliament, the US Congress. He just spoke to the Israeli Knesset. All in the hopes because he know that no one no one can be as passionate and clear about the realities and what the help that is required. No one can do as good a job as he because he's there, he's living it, he feels the pain, and he's the one that is putting his life on the line. No one can say it as well or as in passion as he can. And he's become the evangelist. And that's why also he declined to be relocated by the Americans. He could have easily gone to safety, but he knew one thing. If the leader leaves... Why should everybody else stay and fight and die? It's important to note, too, that in the business world, you have to evangelize to two separate audiences, internally and externally. You know, anytime we talk to sales audiences, we all say you have two customers. You know, you got the internal, the people who have to support you and the promises you make to your customers. And then the customers, you know, how do we support the customers so we exceed their expectations? So the customers versus Linsky, are the other governments that he's trying to sell on to provide the support that they need to hold up against the Russians. Internally, he's got to evangelize for his countrymen to go through the pain and the heartache that they're going through right now to stay and, 
and fight the dangerous fight with no with no guarantee that they're going to survive. You know, so you you really have to create that momentum. And what Putin underestimated in this whole thing as a leader is he underestimated the resolve, which leads into the third point. But he underestimates the resolve of the people, which in fact only galvanized them to really, for lack of a better word, hate Russia and do whatever it takes to keep their freedom. Well, let's go into that third point. Then. And that third point is demonstrating will. Let me tell you how we came up with will to begin with. I was on a plane with a client of mine. It was a VP of uh, Hertz Equipment Rental, part of Hertz, uh, Bud Howard. Uh, he engaged me quite a few years ago to th- do three keynotes and we're traveling between cities. And he asked me this question on the plane, which was very thought provoking. He said, Ron, what's more important, will or want? And without even thinking, I said, will. And he goes, absolutely. But most people think it's want. You can want anything you want, but if you don't got the will to do what it takes to be disciplined, to fight through the fight, you know, and deal with the pain, you're not going to get it. It's as plain as simple. So when we talk about will, first thing we have to talk is about the will of the leader. The leader who, is go- who understands what they want, freedom for Ukraine. They're not going to give that up. And the will of the leader to do whatever it takes to go and fight for the support from the other countries, to go and fight, you know, for whatever he needs to support the fight. And when his people see that, it galvanizes their will to stay behind and fight because it, it, it's like a culture. And you can't have the will of the people if you don't have the will of the leader. It all starts and ends with the leader. Absolutely. So based on your assessment of Zelensky's leadership style and Putin's opposing style and the reaction of the global leaders and other nations to each of them in this conflict so far, I know you're not a geopolitician, but what do you predict, just based on leadership, will be the outcome of this moment in history? Well, you know, on the one hand, you want to say leadership to avoid a bigger war. But I think we all have to be honest, we're in the war already. You know, we did economic sanctions that are crippling Russia. Russia is not going to come out of this as strong as they were before. You know, it's going to take years to recover and, and get back in, in, into the good graces of doing trade with the West and so forth. It's just a really bad situation. For me personally, I don't think Putin has an off-ramp. He has an off-ramp if he was mature enough to do that, to admit that he made a mistake, get the troops out of there and go negotiate with um, Zelensky. But he doesn't see that as an off-ramp because failure to him is not an option. So as long as he goes down that road, the only option down the road is for their government to see there's got to be a better way to do that and make a change. I mean, I don't know how else you do that unless somebody else can get to Putin and say, hey, you need to talk and and negotiate a deal. But until that happens and you got the other side, Ukrainians who are going to fight to the death because it's their land and they're not going to stand for somebody to come in and take away the sovereignty, where else can you maneuver? That's the way I see it. We've been talking so far about how much of an influence the leader has on the people and the direction that an organization or a country takes. There's no doubt, and we've been seeing a lot of it in the news lately, that despite Putin's leadership, a lot of the Russian public is is not behind him on this particular issue. How does a group, either a group within a country or within a business, react or help steer themselves in a the particular direction when they do not have faith in the leader? Well, there's a couple of things going on, and then, but it all comes down to the will of the people again, okay? Mm-hmm. I remember in the, um, when the Iron Curtain came down, we were surprised, the Americans, at two things. 
we thought Russia had all this great armament and, and this well-stocked army and all that. We were surprised at what they were lacking, even to the same degrees to what we are today. That's number one. But number two, it wasn't Gorbachev or Reagan that brought the wall down. It was the will of the people. They got tired of having their dreams squashed, you know, living with such tight restrictions. And eventually they started to rebel. You know, it happened with Poland first and they started becoming a democratic than the other ones. It has to start and end with the will of the people. The problem that you have right now is I think the Russian society is split. You know, you got half of them that are believing the propaganda and the other half that are saying, hey, this is an issue. We need to start doing something. Well, until that becomes the majority and they decided they need a change because change has to come within. It cannot come from anybody on the outside. Only then will we see a difference in the way this war is going. Yeah, yeah. That's very insightful into the current Ukraine conflict and what's going on there, some of the thoughts behind it. I want to talk a little bit more about just your career in general now. Sure. Throughout your career, you've surely experienced certain pivot points that influenced where you ended up today. Perhaps those are experiences, perhaps those are particular people you've met. Could you share just maybe one or two of the pivots, the changes that you felt were most significant for you? Well, number one, I would not be sitting here being interviewed with you if I did not experience a tragedy in my family that we had in the late 80s. You know, I was in sales and sales management in the computer industry. Um, my dad was terminally ill with uh, diabetes, heart failure, kidney failure. He started having amputations. And my mom, who was uh, an executive VP of Chase Manhattan Bank and a world-renowned economist, she had all the help for him at home. But what she didn't do was take care of the emotional help she needed to deal with the travesty. And so one day she passed out of the wheel of the car. The car jumped a curve, severed a light pole and a jagged edge on the pole, punctured the gas tank. Car catches fire. She caught fire in front of a Porsche dealership of all places. A salesperson cuts her coming out. They drag out in flames. The car blows, takes down the whole Porsche dealership. And in an instant, I had two parents near death. My dad and my mom who had 30 degree burns and 30% of her body. So, um, when I was in the ER, you know, uh, and I heard the, what the, what the situation was, I said, okay, what do I do? Cause I haven't been here before, you know, but I said, what are the two questions that you've always lived in business that got you? And the two questions were, what does success look like to me? And what are my actions supporting success? So the success to me was simple. Both parents had to live no matter what, cause I didn't want it on my shoulders that one died. And then the promise I made to myself that any action I take, any action has to support their living. If it doesn't, I don't have time for it and I'll put it away. And that helped me navigate that travesty. You know, the bottom line is my mother had three skin graft operations. We covered, went back to work full time, lived another 20 years, and my dad managed another year. But after doing that for six weeks, I realized that the job I was in was not making me fulfilled. And a lot of what we all went through with COVID, that's why people made the changes. And I realized that I needed something different because what the, the situation showed me was life's too short. You, know, you don't know how long you have. I talked to my EVP. We talked about various options. And he goes, I love you, but those other three options are not in the cards. So what do you think about? So he funded me, basically. He said, today's your last day. He kept me on expense account for a few more months, paid my commissions to the end of the year. And in two weeks, I got my first client. Started in sales training, moved to... Uh, keynoting and sales and leadership, advising some board of directors, and then also doing annual retainers and helping the C-suite position their companies for growth. That would not have happened 
if that tragedy didn't happen because that's what gave me the guts to do something different. I probably would have been on a trajectory to stay in jobs that maybe didn't suit me well, and we probably wouldn't be here together. Wow. Powerful story. And this next question is perhaps similar. You know, like all of us, you've hit setbacks along the way. You've had great success, but you've also hit some setbacks along the way. How do you approach those situations when you confront unexpected, just totally derailing events? So number one, we talk about in the Velocity Mindset book about the stories that we create. So something happens or someone tells us something, we immediately create a story as to what we think it means. And stories are fueled by emotion. So if it's good emotion, great, keep using it, but it pushes you forward. But if it's bad emotion, then you have to address it. So there was this multinational corporation. I was already a hero in that company because I helped two divisions come up with deals that they never thought they were game changers in the industry. So this other division decides to bring me in to their own meeting, and they wanted me to come in and teach their people how to sell a price increase. I didn't do my due diligence properly. I was only in the business maybe about five years. I'm doing this two-day program, and I do a lot of role play, but I was doing it the wrong way. I would critique people. What I didn't realize going into that meeting, those were very senior salespeople that felt that they were being done a disservice by the company. They were the only profitable division in the whole corporation. Yet they got this Yahoo coming in to teach them how to sell a price increase. And then on top of that, I had the audacity to critique them. Well, that was going so bad that I got evaluations. Now, look, I'm from New York originally, and this wasn't Philly. There were comments on that evaluation on curse words that I didn't even understand what they did. Felt a little personal. Felt like it wasn't just about the presentation. Oh, my God. Well, of course, I, I, I sell them, so they're going to sell me. So I'm in the car, and I go, oh, I'm in the wrong career. I just got to quit this job. And, and I realized, wait a minute, you're sinking really fast. You got to call somebody. And uh, I actually called that Bud Howard, the VP from Hertz, because we became lifelong friends and I knew I could trust him. And I shared with him what happened. And he asked me this one question. What did you learn from it? I go, Bud, what do you mean what did I learn from it? I got my tail between my legs. And he goes, well, think about it. Maybe it'll come to you in two weeks, but call me then. And when I thought about it, and, I, and so the first thing you have to do is you have to let that emotion go away because you can't think clearly. So do whatever you can to clear your mind. And when I did, I realized, look, you know, you had all the right intentions. You wanted to help them. But the way you went around it and the environment, it wasn't the right environment. But what can you do to change it? Do role play, but how can you make it non-threatening? Well, because of that incident, I developed a role play where I actually do it on stage and keynotes in front of thousands of people. I'll bring two people up, whether it's leadership or sales. We'll create a scenario. They create it. I'll have one person who's playing the influencer say something for about a minute and take them back. I'll tell the influencer, hey, just, you know, try this question, see what happens. And we process with the audience, what's the difference? That's now the essence of the role play. It's not about critiquing somebody doing something wrong. It's about helping them do it a little bit differently and for everybody to see the results. So they, the two people on stage, become the heroes now. They're actually how that transformation is being made. And people can see it actually happening, so they're more inclined to go use it after the talk. I wouldn't have had that developed if I didn't go through that personal disaster, that role play with that one client that didn't work out well. That's a great tool. That's really informative. So, you know, many of our listeners right now are having great success, but some of them are going through really difficult times, uh, as a lot of the country has gone through difficult times lately. What would you share with those listeners in particular to offer encouragement? Be grounded in what you want to create for yourself. 
You got to be passionate about it, that you're going to do whatever it takes. And, and, and you're so interested in it and passionate about it that that's what keeps you going. That's what's pushing you forward against all odds. That's what Zelensky is doing to keep the freedom going. And that's what's pushing them against, the, you know, against all odds. And if they can do that, I think we can get through the things that are stopping us. Yeah. You know, one thing that is tough for a lot of people to get through, especially individuals who have had great success, is becoming complacent. How do you keep yourself growing, keep yourself motivated going forward? Well, when you get complacent when you ran out of goals that give you juice. What's really necessary is for you to reevaluate your life and what's really important to you is you want to get done before it's too late and make sure that you're creating your destiny around that. When we lose juice, we lost the passion. That's all it is. doesn't mean you don't have it inside of you because you had it inside of you to get to where you are today. The question is now your, your, your life may be changing a little bit as you get older. You know, uh, we heard a, a gerontologist at NSA, a well-known talk about, this is about 15 years ago, and he talked about that uh, when we were younger, my generation, you know, the baby boomers, you know, our parents would live to 65, they'd retire, and then, you know, maybe live a couple more years and then move on. But he said, now, you know, people are achieving their success by age 50. This is 15 years ago. And so now there's a new phase of life that everybody's going into the area of significance. Mm. You know, and, and as you get older, you need to feel like you're doing something of significance. You're making a difference. So I think that one of the things that complacency is about is when you lose your significance. And you need to rekindle as to what's really important to you inside, you know, your values and all that. And find out what it is that's going to make you feel significant. That if you go out and achieve it, you're achieving the results that you want in the world. Now, I haven't shared this in the interview, so I'll share this. The fear of death is the number one fear in the world. I have a fear of death. So I was reading this book and the writer did an amazing job. And he goes, the biggest reason why people fear death so much is because they're so entwined in their legacy. We want to leave such a big legacy that everybody's going to remember us for the years to come, you know, infinity. Who can do that? And they basically said, look, you know, you pass on, you know, your kids will remember you 20 years later, your grandkids maybe 40 years later, but who's going to remember most of us, you know, 80 years from now? But he goes, if you really want to be significant, don't worry about people remembering you. Create ripples in the world. Meaning I say something to you, it makes an impact on you. You now use it in your behavior, you know, spreading that impact to others. No one really knows it came from you. No one cares. But the fact is you're creating ripples that is going to improve society as we go on. So I guess one of the best ways is what ripples mean something to you and will mean something to the society you know, don't worry about your legacy, create the improvements. We do that together collectively. The world can't be stopped. Then. I love that idea that your trajectory in anybody's career and in their life sort of breaks down into the three distinct periods of, I guess you can start with struggle, success, and significance. Except we always struggle at every phase. That's a great point. That's a great point. Uh, Ron, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for making some time for us today. How can people find out more about you? If they go to velocitymindset.com, that's velocitymindset.com, they can get a copy of the book. They can also give us just their email because I release videos every Friday so they can stay in the conversation of Velocity Mindset so they can keep moving their lives forward. Thank you so much, Ron. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. 
To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.